reflection this afternoon, I invite you to turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19, let's read verses 1 through, at least let, let's read verses 1 through 10. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burnt up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. We have here in our text the Lord summoning his people Israel to be holy unto him. You shall be holy for I am holy. The Lord your God am holy is the recurrent refrain we find in the book of Leviticus. We find it here in verse 2. We find it in verse 26. It is also found in chapter 11 verse 44 verse 45 as well as chapter 20 verses 7 and 26. And in a real sense, we could say that holiness is the overarching theme of the book of Leviticus. Indeed, going all the way back to Genesis, rather Exodus 19 and verse 6, we'll see there that related to God's purpose in redeeming Israel from Egyptian bondage was that they would be a people holy unto the Lord. They were to be a nation that was to be holy Unto them, they were to imitate him who was essentially holy in his being, holy in his character. And in the book of Leviticus, we see the various ways in which Israel was to practically live out in their everyday lives what it meant to be holy. In fact, in the preceding chapter, chapter 18 would say, began with the practical aspect, what we had in the previous chapter, chapters 1 through 17, was the question of how does a holy redeemed people worship God? That's chapters 1 through 17. And what we have in chapter 18 and following would be how do a holy people live for the Lord? How do they worship God on the one hand and how do they walk with God on the other hand? Um, and so God set forth for them, as we saw in fact, some time ago we were in this book and we saw in chapter 18 God setting boundaries for his people as to how they should relate to the matter of sexual morality. How they were to be holy as regards sexual conduct. God set for them certain boundaries. We 
We'll not go into that just now, but you can read that in chapter 18. Israel was not to be like the surrounding nations when it came to sexual expression. They were to be different. They were to be holy in all areas of their lives. And here in chapter 19, what we have then are further instructions to the nation, that is, to the nation Israel, as to how they were to reflect the holiness of God in their lives. These instructions, we find, are religious, they are ethical in nature, and by and large, they are part of the Ten Commandments. They're expressed both in negative and positive terms. In other words, as behavior to be avoided and as behavior to be adopted. You know, there are those who take objection that Christian living, living for God, is not a matter of not doing this or that. And when we read scripture, we see something very much different. You'll hear them for, saying, for example, to, to be engaged in not doing this or that is to be engaged in legalism. And yet in scripture, we find that part of what it means to be godly is this very idea of adopting certain behavior and avoiding certain behavior. Note, for example, Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. That's the negative aspect of holiness. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But, positively speaking, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Similarly, in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, the question is asked, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place? And here's what the answer is given. It's expressed both in negative and positive terms. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear falsely. Now, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? In fact, this is the lead question as we look at this portion this evening. And this portion is going to answer for us the question, what does it mean to be holy? And in the first place, we'll get the first instruction that God gave Israel through Moses. The first instruction God lays before Israel is found in verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And the question is, why is this instruction placed first in the list? And I would say that it's listed first, no doubt, because basic to the stability of a nation is the honoring of and submission to authority. Basic to the stability of a nation, basic to the stability, the prosperity of a society is that of honoring and submitting to authority, which attitude is formed in the home beginning with children obeying and honoring their parents. And the principle is this, that if a child never learns to honor and obey parents, then it's hardly likely, it's hardly likely that that child will come to know what it is to honor and obey God. You've heard the saying, and it is very much true, piety begins at home, and true piety and true fear of the Lord begins where? At home. In fact, holiness of life involves not only right relationship with God, but right relationship with others, and right relationship with others, with one's parents in particular, which begins in the home, is foundational to a right relationship with God. Now, this matter 
of honoring one's parents applies not just to children, but even to adults. And we say that there's a distinction between honoring and obeying. Now, my father is not alive, my mother is not alive. But if they were alive, I would not be obliged necessarily to obey them. Right? I would not be necessarily obliged to obey them. <laughs> Our son is sitting right there, and I, I blush to say this, I shudder to say this. He is not obliged to obey me. But here's the truth, what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that as long as we live, in fact, it is suggested here, you'll notice how the, how the command is actually expressed. Notice the text did not say, every one of you shall obey your mother and your father. Why? Because he, he was addressing a mixed audience. And what he does here is to take that which is common to both, that is to children and adults, and to say, listen, you all are to honor and revere your mother and father. So here's a rule of thumb. If children are living with their parents, in particular, if they are, even if they are young adults, um, and I, I say this with caution, every parent must know how to order their family situation. Basically, if children live with you and they are dependent on you and you pay their bills and you see to their well-being, you know, they're obliged to, to really listen to you, okay? They're obliged to listen to you. You can't say, well, you know, I'm my own adult. I've turned this or that. Nevertheless, there has to be some discretion, right? And we cannot, as parents, and I say we rhetorically, we cannot, as parents, this is one of the things that sometimes create problems. We have to know how to relate to our children, particularly as they are becoming adults. We certainly cannot be treating them like, you know, little children and so on. And, but the point I'm making overall is this, that by and large, if children are, li are living with their parents, particularly if they're just, attend just reaching into adulthood, I think they should still be listening to and taking to heart what their parents say. Why? Because their parents are responsible for them. You know, it's amazing when, you know, many of us when we're growing up, how many of you are familiar with this statement? I mean, as long as you're under my roof, <laughs> it is my way or the highway. There was some good in that, but there was also some problems too. See? And discretion is needed, particularly as our children become older um, getting into adulthood, and so on. But here's a point that I want to make. We never, we never get beyond the stage where we no longer honor our parents. That is to be a lifelong endeavor. And all throughout Scripture, we see something of the high premium that God places on this matter of children, of adults, honoring their parents, honoring mother and father. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may belong in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Paul will say in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians that this is the only commandment with a promise. And it promises longevity. You want to live long, honor your parents, obey them, honor them, respect them. Many young people, their lives are being cut short. Why? Because 
as part of the judgment of God, sometimes people, their lives are shortened. That is what the Word of God suggests. That is what the Word of God teaches. We are to honor our parents. In fact, listen to Exodus 21, 15, and 17. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. God takes this very seriously. God takes the whole matter of authority, constituted authority, constituted authority in the home, and by the way, constituted authority in the government as well. We are to respect, we are to honor constituted authority beginning in the home. Deuteronomy 27 and verse 16 says this, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Proverbs 23, verse 22, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. By the way, don't despise your father too when he's old. You could say that, right? He says, honor them right throughout your life. Proverbs 30, verses 11 and 17, here's what scripture says. This is what scripture says, showing how God takes seriously this matter of children, offsprings honoring their parents. He says this, There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Proverbs 30 verse 17, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. It is a way of saying that God frowns upon dishonor toward parents and parental authority. Let me say this, um, maybe some youngsters listening even online to this message, here's the point. God has set parents, God has set your parents over you to be your uh, model of authority. And here's the point, it does not mean that they're going to be, as you expect them to be, perfect. They're not going to be perfect. They're going to have flaws. They are going to have warts. They're going to have all kinds. You're going to find all kinds. You may find all kinds of flaws, but here's the point. This does not exonerate you from honoring your parents, from obeying your parents. The only time you're not obliged, and this goes now for youngsters, for those who are underage, the only time, listen, the only time you would be obliged not to obey and I know I won't get in trouble for this. Somebody says, what are you doing, Patrick? Let me tell you what I'm doing. The only time you would not be obliged to obey if you know what they are telling you to do is a clear violation of the word of God. But let me say this. Let me hasten to say this. Even when you're going to dissent, there should be what? Respect. There should be honor. Um, one can adopt the attitude of being so um, brash and rude and declaring your intention. Well, I'm not going to follow that because the Bible says that. No, 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 no. We are to respect them and we are to gently explain our position based on our understanding of the, of the scriptures that, you know, this would not be right for me to do. How serious does God take this matter of honoring parents? Citing a list of many sins in the city of Jerusalem, the prophet Ezekiel confronts the people in Ezekiel 22 verse 7, the people of Israel, and he says this, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. 
The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst. The fatherless and the widows are wronged in you. Fast forward to the New Testament, and there we find our Lord Jesus. Even though he was the son of God, even though he was an adult, even though he was an adult, notice the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, he came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He honored them. He, he submitted to them. That's Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. In Mark chapter 15, 4 through 6, he denounced the Pharisees. He denounced the scribes, what? For dishonoring their parents on account of their man-made traditions. Some of them were saying, well, what I have would have given you, my parent, mom and dad, I'm giving it to God. And he says, you know, you, you, you're following your man-made traditions and you're honoring your, your traditions and in the same breath you are dishonoring your parents. And then in his epistle to the Ephesians, we hear the apostle Paul addressing children in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 3. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So from these and other portions of scripture, what becomes clear is that part of what it means to be holy, part of what it means to be in right relationship with God, part of what it means to exhibit godliness is to submit to authority. Specifically here, to submit to parental authority, to honor one's father and one's mother. One cannot claim to be godly, one cannot claim to be Christian while dishonoring parents. We look at one more. Look at verse 3. The second instruction related to the call to be holy. Verse 3 is that of keeping the Lord's Sabbath. And this particular instruction is repeated in verse 30, the plural, Sabbaths, you notice. Not just Sabbath, but you notice there, Sabbaths refers to the regular keeping of the Sabbath, day in the week. But there were also other Sabbaths. You had a Sabbath like every seven years and so on. And God was telling his people that they were, were to be careful to observe these ordinances. Now, the word Sabbath means rest. And scripture gives at least four reasons as to why God instituted the Sabbath to be observed. Now, let me say here that for us today... As Christians, we are not under the law. Nevertheless, the principle of the Sabbath remains for us. We are to recognize the sanctity, God, the sanctity of time. When we take time out, for example, on a day like this to worship God and we give this time to God, we are, in fact, recognizing God's claim on our time. We are, in, we are recognizing God's claim upon our time. If one is neglectful of God's ordinances, if one, for example, disregards the day, is not concerned about the worship of God, does one's own thing. You know, people, people sometimes will go, to the, go here, they go there, they go to the movies, they go do all kinds of things. Now, don't get me wrong. On the other hand, we don't want to be legalistic. But something has to be wrong with this picture where God's, time for worship, God, the time we should give to honoring God is not there. You see, one of the ways we show our submission to God is by honoring him with our time. 
And Israel was to observe the Sabbath first of all because God ceased from his work of creation after six days. And then what did he do? He rested on the seventh day. You see that in Genesis 2, 1 to 3. You see that in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. And then as far as Israel was concerned, the, the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath, it was to be a sign between God and Israel that they might know that he, the Lord, sanctifies them. And then a third reason, in, in Exodus 31, verse 14, God told Israel, he says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Now that word holy means this. It means that God set it apart. God set it apart. I said that we are not under a legalistic observance of the law. We are not under the law to, to, to rigidly observe days and seasons as Paul teaches in Galatians. But the principle of the Sabbath remains where when we set aside time for God, we are in fact honoring him with our time. And if we are living for ourselves, if we never give God time for worship... If we never recognize his claim upon our lives, upon our time, then that really is tantamount to ungodliness, to unholiness. The third purpose of the Sabbath was to set aside time for the Lord, then to give quality, substantial time to the Lord instead of using the day for our own purposes. And then another purpose of the Sabbath, uh, this, this Sabbath day of rest, was, it was to be a day of refreshment from the grind and tedium of daily work. You see that stated in Exodus chapter 16, verses 22 to 30, 30 and how true the saying, it's a saying, I think we have quoted it in the past, seven days make one week. And it's equally true that seven days without rest will ultimately make one week. We can appreciate that what our Lord Jesus meant in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, when he said that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. We do not, for example, on this day, deal with it in a legalistic manner. Some people do. But the day really is designed for what? For worship and for rest, for rejuvenation. God is very much concerned about us uh, physically as he is concerned about us spiritually and one of the purpose of the of, of, of the sabbath the word sabbath means rest god is interested in our resting so what does it mean to be holy then it means first of all to submit to authority specifically as our text is concerned it means submitting to parental authority it means honoring parents true godliness true piety begins at home if one never learns to honor and obey parents, one will never learn to obey God. And then secondly, to be holy is to observe God's ordinances, is to recognize, in this case, God's claim on our time, God's claim on who we are as his people. May God bless these truths to our hearts. For his name's sake, amen. <laughs>